millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you all doing today? Well, I am back from the Hay Festival. What an experience I had there. It was quite incredible, but there was one moment. It was very surreal. I was very fortunate enough to be able to record some interviews with the cast of The Archers. And if you want to hear more about that, if you go to the podcast Dum Dee Dum, Dum Tee Dum, you will find it there. It was just amazing to talk to them. But there's one character, Jim, who I was going to interview first. And it was very noisy. We we're in the green room at the Hay Festival. There's lots of chatter going on. I thought, ideally, I'd prefer to record somewhere quiet. And there was this like artist restaurant. So we went into there only to discover that there was some big lunches going on and that it was even louder than being outside. So the actor who plays Jim went back out and as I was going out, someone was coming in. So I held the door open for them. And yes, that person was Margaret Atwood. And I said, hello, Margaret, I'll open the door for you. And then she said something and I said something and she said something I can't remember. I cannot remember what it was because I just remember my brain kicking into gear that, Philippa, you're holding the door open for Margaret Atwood. What are you doing? Please could someone take a photograph of this? Think of something really intelligent to say. At least say something impressive. See, I'm dropping books as I'm talking. It was a, it was a nonsense nightmare. She's probably gone and spoken to those people around her to say, please never let that woman come into contact with me again. She's a complete lunatic and she'd be quite within her rights to do that. I I remember talking. I remember her saying something to me. She was joining Rob Delaney at a table because they'd just uh, done a talk together. But what did I say? If anybody was there and can tell me, I'd be really grateful to know. Oh dear. Anyway, there we are. Embarrassed, totally. Memorable, definitely. Another example of Philippa. Yes, completely. But enough about that. I have some brilliant books to talk to you about. So excited. Today, we've got The Beach Party with Nikki Smith. And Nick is coming on to talk to us about that book. Then we've got The Good, The Bad and the History by Jodie Taylor. And Jodie is coming on to talk to us about that book. I am smiling as I'm just saying the book title. It's that good a book. Uh, then I'm also going to review Yellow Face by Rebecca F. Kwang, A Place to Bury Strangers by Mark Dawson, and The Couple at Number Nine by Claire Douglas. Those are the five books. And I'm just checking, was it Claire Douglas? I've said that from memory. And we all know that that's a very dangerous thing for Philippa to do. Yes, 
my goodness, I was right. Let's celebrate that by Claire Douglas. So without further ado, let's start with The Beach Party by Nikki Smith. I mean, you just need to hear this bit. Six friends, the holiday of their dreams, one night that changed it all. But there is a bit more blurb. So let me read you this. 1989. The tunes are loud and the clothes are louder when a group of friends arrives in Mallorca for a post-graduation holiday of decadence and debauchery at a luxury villa. A beach party marks the pinnacle of their fun until it isn't fun any longer because amid the world partying, sand flying from dancing feet and revellers leaping from yachts, an accident happens and the night of a lifetime becomes a living nightmare. Now, the truth about that summer has been collectively buried, but somebody knows what happened that night and they want the friends to pay for what they did. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Oh, it was just a superb book, a real, a really good thriller. If you want something, if you're on holiday and want to read something based abroad or you're not going abroad, but you still want to enjoy that sort of summer vibe. Absolutely brilliant. But enough about me. Let's talk to Nikki now. Well, it is my huge pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Nikki Smith, whose latest fabulous book is The Beach Party. Nikki, welcome back. Thank you so much, Philippa. It's lovely to be here. It's great to have you here. Now, let's start with you reading the first few sentences for us. So this is from The Beach Party. The blowflies find it first, a throbbing hum that feasts rapidly, knowing they won't be alone for long. A vulture circles on a thermal of warm air above the limestone cliffs, the surface of the Mediterranean Sea shimmering in the heat that accompanies the start of the tourist season. An updraft lifts the bird higher and the Majorcan villa comes into view below. A rectangle of terracotta roof tiles, a flash of a turquoise swimming pool, a blaze of cerise pink bougainvillea. There's no sign of the occupants who arrived here last week. No boat moored by the jetty, no streaks of blood on the marble floor no evidence to show how easy it is to separate flesh from bone. The vulture circles once more, then drops down and lands on the dirt track that leads away from the villa and the ocean, through the shade of the pine forest and out to the main road. Its four talons gouge out marks in the red earth. The flies lift off in a black cloud as the vulture struts over, examines the bloody remains on the floor and begins to feed. <laughs> Da, da, da. What a great start to the book. OK, well, let's start then after that wonderful reading with the basic question. Can you sort of summarise this glorious book for us? Well, The Beach Party, it's a destination thriller about six friends. So we've got Will, Zoe, Nina, Seb and Aidan and Claire who go on holiday together in 1989 after they graduate from Birmingham University. And they go and stay in Nina's parents' super luxury villa, which is in Dea in Mallorca. It's set on a cliff top overlooking the ocean and it's got a boat and a jetty. It's very, very flash. But in the midst of all their decadent partying, there's a terrible accident and somebody dies. So in an effort to cover up what's happened, the group start to turn on one another, which leads up to a horrifying climax. And then 30 years later, as the book is dual timeline, the secret they buried resurfaces. Someone knows what they did and is going to make them pay for it. 
Fantastic. So why this book? Why now? What what made you want to write this book now? Well, it's interesting because I know that there's a lot of destination thrillers that have that are coming out kind of this year. And I think it's to do with the pandemic. There was a couple of things. So firstly, I think, I mean, I had this idea back in kind of 2019 2020 just as we kind of started going into the pandemic and I think that it was came out of a result of everybody sitting at home staring at you know the four walls of their kitchen and really feeling trapped and wanting to be somewhere else and I think that that's the kind of thought that must have gone through a lot of authors minds and not having been able to travel for a couple of years you know you just want to escape somewhere in a book so I think it was partly that and then the 1989 setting I love the 80s it's my kind of teenage era so so it is partly that I just have so much fun kind of reading living all of that particularly with all the music and things like that but also my daughter goes to one of my daughters I've got two goes to university hopefully this year and I think that it was just that that kind of you know time when there's a big change in your life and you know you look back on on what you did then and think about the things that you were doing so and I think that that's partly what led to it as well. Yes that makes sense actually the knock-on impact of the pandemic and yes wanting to just get out and see places and go to places but why that particular place in Mallorca why Dea what was the inspiration for that well I'd actually been on a girls holiday in October 19 just before obviously we didn't know the pandemic was around the corner then and it was a group of girls who I've known since I was kind of 20 so just after I left university I started work with most of them and and we visited Dea in Mallorca and had such an amazing time and it's such a beautiful place and I think that so when I was thinking about well where am I going to set this you know amazing thriller that that isn't in my kitchen that was I had the photos on my phone and I was looking back at them and they kind of just inspired such fantastic kind of memories and I just thought this would be the perfect place so that's why I chose Daya. So the next time you say to your friends girls I've found somewhere (laughs) where we're going to go on holiday will your friends be like no thanks because there's going to be a murderous (laughs) book written about it. Yes exactly exactly yeah (laughs) they're very wary now I'm like right where should we go? And of the characters in the book, which one came to you first or did they just arrive as a group? I think they probably arrived as a group, but I would say out of all of them, Nina was the most fun to write. She's a very... Uh, toxic character I would say she's rich she's entitled she's used to getting exactly what she wants she's kind of a typical mean girl if you like and she was she was yeah she was good she was good fun to write it's I, I like unlikable characters I would say and and yeah I had a I had a lot of fun writing her and there's a playlist as well a 1980s playlist which is just wonderful there is yes there is indeed yes it's um it's on Spotify and there's a QR code out there I think some of the proofs that went out went out with little kind of postcards and they had a QR code so yeah yeah people can listen to it if they want to and a lot of the songs are in the book obviously not the lyrics we're not allowed to put lyrics in books but you are allowed to put song titles so hopefully I've kind of managed to evoke some of the 80s atmosphere with the music. Yes I was lucky enough to get one of those postcards so will the QR code be in the finished printed book as well I think it probably will be actually yes yeah I think it will be so yeah people will be able to yes listen along as they're reading I love a playlist with a book I think it really helps me it adds another layer to my experience of it 
Yes, I think I think music is one of those things, isn't it? It can really evoke a certain kind of era or time or mood, and and yeah, I think it definitely yeah adds adds to the book if you can. It takes people back to that particular era if they live through it. I think. And we're speaking a little ahead of publication, so we just need to let people know about the publication date so they can get that date in their diary or, of course, do a pre-order. So the paperback is out on the 20th of July, I believe. That's right. Paperback will be out on the 20th of July and the ebook and the audiobook are out on the 14th of July. And the audiobook is read by the fantastic actress Monse Lombard, who played Shaz in Ashes to Ashes many years ago. And there's that link again with the 80s. And I was lucky enough to go up and hear her read it, which was the most surreal experience. Absolutely brilliant. I loved it. But it was amazing to hear an actress reading out, you know, words that you've written. It's, it's, it's really odd, actually. But fantastic. She brings the characters to life really, really well. So, yeah, I love it. And did it feel different writing this book to your other ones? I think in some ways, yes. I think I think I've enjoyed writing this one the most, actually, in some ways. I think that, you know, I loved the location and and I'm very fond of all the characters and and the era as well, the 80s. So, yeah, so so in that way, I think it was different. But yeah, but it's, it's, you know, it's just part of a writing process, which I think that everybody goes through for every book. And it's also always slightly different for every book. So yeah. And you've had two other books optioned for TV, I believe. So is there going to be something, I presume there's going to be something for the beach party? Well, I hope so, but no news on that front at the moment. But yes, fingers crossed. I've I've had yes, my my TV agent yeah thinks it would make obviously as as I do would make a, a great TV series. But uh, yeah, we'll just we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. So how did you get in the writing zone for this? Were you wearing leg warmers <laughs> and a nineteen eighties fluorescent headband? I should have been actually, shouldn't I? Yeah, that would have gone down well. I did I did a lot of research and and I had a kind of mood board. I always do that anyway. So I have kind of photos of my characters photos of the location which I had on my phone and and just kind of yeah surrounded myself with 80s stuff that I've you know had online and I think it's I think it's been quite popular that era anyway and that kind of comeback I think started with probably things like Stranger Things and you know stuff like that that was you know very 80s related so there's an awful lot of stuff out there and yeah and I was just yes took inspiration from that and obviously just yeah my own memories of what it was like to live through the live through the 80s I think one of the huge advantages of setting a part of a book in that era is that people forget but there's no mobile phones there's no kind of CCTV all of those kind of things which can make thrillers quite tricky to write in terms of believability of plot because things can't happen because it just wouldn't because you know you've been filmed people know where you are because they could track you on your mobile or see you on a CCTV camera. None of that really existed in the 80s. I mean, mobile phones were coming in, but, you know, they were like bricks. You wouldn't kind of carry them around with you. So, yeah, so from that point of view, it was quite a freeing experience to write something that was set in that era. And even when people did have a mobile phone, it was so expensive to call the mobile phone that nobody would call you. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes, yes, completely. I still remember being at university and that was in the early 90s and, you know, and and having to use the payphone at the bottom of the stairs, you know, the little kind of handful of 10p coins that you kind of fed in. Yes, there was nothing, nothing like mobiles. Yes, very different. Which characters stayed in your head the most when you finished writing it? I think Aidan. 
probably because yes without giving wanting to give anything away wise which is difficult but uh, yeah I think I think his character kind of got under my skin the most and yeah I felt a lot of sympathy for him when I was writing and yeah yeah he's he's a great character so if you could go back to when you were writing book one is there anything that you would whisper to yourself to do differently or to change? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I think you learn a lot as you go through the kind of process of writing and being published. But I don't I don't think I don't think I would change anything. Well, apart from the timing of the pandemic, obviously, Philippa, that wasn't exactly ideal launching your debut novel six days after we went into the first <laughs> lockdown. So yes. yes, from that point of view, I would say, hang on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just just wait another couple of years before you decide to do or start a year earlier. That that would be my biggest piece of advice. But then in, in terms of the actual writing, I think I think it's a process that you have to go through and you learn a lot as you do it. And I think it doesn't matter if somebody, you know, comes back and tells you something kind of thing afterwards. I think you need to go through it to experience that yourself. And You definitely grow as a writer, I think. Some things I find easier than, you know, when I started. And I just know an awful lot more about the industry than I did when I started as well. So I think, you know, it would obviously be useful to have that knowledge in your head from the beginning. But I think that you wouldn't really understand it unless you'd kind of been through it either. So makes sense. Well, we come to the final question, which, as always, is the most important one on this podcast. And that is what biscuit was powering the writing of The Beach Party? What was your biscuit of choice, Nikki? Well, it's got to be a dark chocolate digestive for me. Yes, I have. I'm I'm an absolute dark chocolate fiend. Yeah, don't really like milk chocolate, actually. Well, we can be friends, then you won't steal mine and I won't steal yours. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, anything dark chocolate. Oh, wonderful. Well, really look forward to publication day. But as I say, you can get those pre-orders in now for The Beach Party by Nikki Smith. Nikki, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Philippa. Coming up, an interview with the amazing one and only Jodie Taylor and more book reviews. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So now we have The Good, The Bad and the History by Jody Taylor. I love these books so much. They're part of the St. Mary's series and Time Police series. These books are just phenomenal. Let me read you the blurb on this one. St. Mary's is under investigation. Their director has been shot and Max is number one suspect. Can things get any worse? We all know the answer to that one. Max needs to get away fast. And a brilliant idea leads her to a full-scale uprising in 20th century China. If she can come by a historical treasure or two in the process, even better. That is, if she makes it out alive. Then there's the small matter of insight. The sinister organisation from the future, hell-bent on changing history for their own dark ends. Having successfully infiltrated their ranks, Max is perfectly placed to stop them, but she knows her cover will soon be blown because it's already happened. Can Max take down insight before they come after her? The circle is closing and only one can survive. These books are amazing. When I die, I want them to be buried with me so I can keep reading them. That's how much I love them. They are phenomenal. And Jodie is just such a great person to talk to. And so I need to say no more. Let's just go and talk to Jodie now. Well, it is such a huge pleasure to welcome back to the podcast the amazing Jodie Taylor, whose latest book is The Good, The Bad and The History, Jodie, welcome back. Thank you very much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, just thrilled to talk to you. I really am. Let's start, if you don't mind, with a little reading of the first few sentences. Well, the, the prologue of the book. Indeed. Are you ready? I am. Are you sitting comfortably? <laughs> I am. I can't wait. <laughs> this is the prologue. Right, this will have to be a very quick catch-up because I can't hang around. The police want a quick word with me. So here goes. Small Hope, Penny Royal and I were still at St Mary's. Small Hope had been stitched back together and the wrist she hadn't known she'd broken been correctly set and flexi-gloved. Pennyroyal had, apparently, had a record-breaking number of bullets removed from various parts of his anatomy and was currently healing quietly and efficiently in the men's ward. I was stiff and sore after my adventures with an insight hit squad and a giant pile of logs. Guess which did the most damage? Markham was around somewhere, hopefully holding himself in readiness to effect our rescue, should that become necessary. However, since his rescues don't always go according to plan, he was probably just holding himself. The police were here, all of them, time police, civilian police, military police. They'd arrived in a traffic storm of black pods, black helicopters, black vans, even black bicycles for all I knew. All with one objective, to discover who shot Commander John Treadwell. 
Yes, I know what you're thinking, but it wasn't me. I had a perfect alibi. I was talking to Captain Hyssop at the time. We didn't know whether Treadwell was alive or dead and no one was saying. St Mary's was grounded and confined to barracks. No one in, no one out. Because we were all under investigation. I love it when you read your books, Jodie. I know you Zara does a great job and all that, but honestly, you read one, a short story, the sort of prequel, and, and I love that. So, yes, I always like to hear you read it. I read the bedtime story at Jodie World as well, and it was very kindly received. And we all wore our pyjamas because it was a bedtime story. So there I was in public in my pyjamas... <laughs> That's amazing. Reading to several hundred other people also in their pyjamas. We should mention that, yes, Jodie Worlds is this incredible, was it a two-day convention for fans? Yes, it was last weekend. It opened Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. And people said, oh, I wished it was longer, but basically we were all on our knees at the end of it. <laughs> I've never seen, I think it was just under 300 people, enjoy themselves so thoroughly as they did. And there were dodos there and dinosaurs and all sorts. There were. One lady came as the illustrated time map. That was quite spectacular. <sighs> she was apparently, because she was lit up all over the place, and I inquired as to the technical specification. And she was apparently wearing every double A battery in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> she was weighed down by battery packs. <laughs> could she hardly move with the weight of it all? Pretty much. But she could be seen from space. <laughs> so there we go. So that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's start off with a really basic question. But can you give us a, a little summary of this wonderful well, it picks up from where the last one left off, actually. And Commander Treadwell has been shot. They're all under investigation. Max obviously can't hang around because although she didn't do it, she's well in the frame for it. So they disappear from St Mary's. There is a brief excursion to China when she very nearly manages to get herself shot. You'll be astonished to hear <laughs> and then she goes back to Insight, who, of course, will know in the future that she is not who she says she is. And she's getting nearer and nearer and nearer to that point. And the big question is, who will take out whom? Will they get to her before she gets to them? Now, we've got very loyal fans, very, very loyal fans. And we've got new potential fans listening to this who would, I'm sure, be thinking immediately that they need to go out and acquire this book. But for new potential fans, it's the question of where to start. Do they go back to book one? Or I think they can just jump into this book and just enjoy the madness. Well, I would like to think so. But I think, as with all series, to get the full impact, you need to start at the beginning, especially possibly for the last two. But hey, you know, it's St Mary's. Jump in there and, and just take the consequences. <laughs> and then for your very loyal fans, can you talk to us about Max and, you know, where she is in her headspace and physically, I suppose, for this particular book? Well, she's she's been through it a bit in the last few books. So she is 
physically and possibly mentally getting near the end of her tether. She has to finish this job. As she says, taking down insight isn't a job that you can leave half done. She and Markham have got to go through with it. And so they do via an ancient Egyptian donkey, Markham's naked hoovering moment which I'm sure my readers will enjoy, especially <laughs> as his pinny doesn't go all the way around the back. <laughs> I thought that was a, a, a brilliant scene. I have to say, I, I had this book to read approximately 36 hours before our chat, and it has been wonderful to just tell everyone in my family they can't speak to me. Even walking the dog, I was holding the lead and the book reading it because it's just the most wonderful story. It's it was brilliant to read. You never, you never disappoint us, Jodie. It was exceptional. Well, thank you very much. And readers might like to know now that the two series, St Mary's and The Time Police, are now joined up because The Time Police was set a little ahead. But now we should have a nice, smooth run through we won't of course because it's me and and there will be confusion and terror and possibly bloodshed all over the place but that was the aim anyway there's also a wonderful reflection on librarians uh quite near the oh, beginning yeah. you were a librarian i've been a librarian well, no. No, no, I wasn't. Librarians are having you shot at this very moment. I was the facilities manager, but because I couldn't keep my nose out of anything, I, I kind of uh, got involved in just about everything was going. And I know how crazy the world of librarianism is. You are looking at the woman who got wedged in the wheel arch of a mobile library and my lovely team of drivers, instead of coming and rescuing me, came out and took photographs, <laughs> would you believe? <laughs> oh, that's my mistake. I thought you were a school librarian at one point going back. I, I was, but I was school librarian and secretary to the English department. Oh, so not actually qualified I think if I was in a library, I would be a library assistant. But they have the most fun. And, of course, I picked up all the tricks of the trade along the way, you know, like how to ram people with your book trolley, how to annoy people, various things I found in various library books. You know, people actually use rashers of bacon as bookmarks. What? I, I am I'm almost speechless, which says something. <laughs> My goodness. You are speechless, yeah. aren't you? I've never come across a rasher of bacon. Uh, an yeah. act, not a picture of a rasher of bacon, a real oh, no. edible. Well, no, it wasn't cooked. It was raw because I think they're more flexible when they're raw, aren't they? They don't bend so well if they're crispy. Are you all right? I just, why? I'm a little bit worried about you. You sent my mind off on a complete bacon spiral. The, the raw bacon has taken it to another... You've raised the game there, Jodie. You really... Well, have. think about it. I mean, a rasher of streaky bacon is just about the right size, shape and flexibility. It's just that it happens to be bacon. That's the only downside. But it's the smell as well of the bacon mm. as it starts to go off that I would think... Mm. And it did glue the pages together. Yes. Well, each to their own, so why not? Expect yes. the unexpected. Let's talk about research because, my goodness, you cover various historical times in all of your books, this one included. How do you go about doing your research? Well, I have an idea and I read around it as much as I can. Online and books, magazines, libraries are a great help. And I decide 
where and when I'm going to insert the characters. When I when I did the Battle of Hastings, I actually drew a contour map because I wanted to make sure that when they landed the pod, what they could see, and there wouldn't be a hill or a wood or something in the way. So I draw a map and I decide where the people are going to be and what they can see when they get there. And then I research what happens up to that point, then the bit with St Mary's in, and what happens afterwards as well. So this is my little working area here and there are books, timelines, maps, charts, goodness knows what. And it's all on the floor around my ankles as well and I fall over it every few minutes. And all that for possibly only three or four pages in a book and sometimes only one line. For instance, I think in one of the books somewhere, I've simply said when Peterson returned from researching the war on Jenkins's ear... And there really was a war of Jenkins's ear. And I spent a very happy afternoon down that rabbit hole, but it just made half a line in the book. All that work. You, you have to be careful. I, I want to be familiar, but it's not a history book that I'm writing. So there's enough to set the scene and the flavour and the atmosphere but not pages and pages of technical description. I don't know if you've ever watched a programme called The Detectorist, but it's uh, about... Yes. Yes. With Toby... Toby Jones in it, which is... Yes, yes. yes. They, as they are doing their metal detectoring, often there is a scene played out of what happened historically, you know, um, armies running across horses, all sorts. And I often expect to see Max there also. Being trampled underfoot, yes. Yes, running after them, trying to keep her costume yes, intact. Yes, because Mrs Enderby will shout at her otherwise. Exactly, or people running into a pod that's disguised. Or, yes, I, I would love to Well, I've always felt there. throughout the books they don't have invisible pods at St Mary's, but the time police do. And it's only a matter of time before, in a panic, somebody runs into one and knocks themselves unconscious. Bashford, I think, because that seems to be the sort of thing he does. <laughs> and it's this humour. I mean, just talking to you, uh, you're just wonderful to talk to. But in the book, yes, there are serious moments, but... The way you write, there's such humour in it. It's just a joy to read. Are you smiling as you write? Yes, usually. I smile when I kill people. That's because that's <laughs> such good fun. In the book. In, in the book. I feel we should make that clear. But is it a challenge to balance the sort of the humour and the seriousness? Yes, Right from the very beginning, that was what I always wanted to do because that's that's how life is. You know, you you achieve a life goal. Say it's your 25th wedding anniversary or your wedding party or whatever, and you're having a wonderful time and you're happy and you're jumping about and everything's lovely. And then you look round and the police are at the door because there's been a terrible accident somewhere. That is how life is. And I've exaggerated it a little, obviously, in the book. But I wanted them to, to slither from happiness to complete disaster and back again. And also because I really, I didn't want it to be like a television series where there's a core of characters and nothing ever really happens to them. I wanted my readers to know that when they got into trouble, there was a very good chance that they wouldn't all make it back again. Yes, there is absolute risk there to yes jeopardy that's the better word yes 
jeopardy. But when you're writing, what do you do to get in the zone? Are you dressed in grey overalls or St Mary's uniform? Oh, God, this this is where I have to display some of my more colourful personality disorders. I'm always in the zone. You know, people say, how do you manage to write so quickly? Well, the answer is because I never stop. I do stop to eat occasionally. I'm an insomniac, so half the night is is available to me as well. And I have no control over my thought processes. And I'll have a phrase in my head or a sudden picture... My agent says I'm not to mention the voices in my head because it makes people nervous. <laughs> but I just never stop. I mean, I have notebooks everywhere, especially in the bathroom, and they're all wet and crinkly because I keep dropping them in the <laughs> bath. But sadly, I'm at the age where if I don't write something down there and then, it's mm. just gone forever. So I never really switch off. Well, I'm sorry that you're unable to switch off, but also I'm very pleased because it means we get these wonderful books to read so we appreciate your it makes me enormously productive but slightly odd (laughs) oh well that's the the best combination i i would say i think so yes let's talk about publication day because this episode will be out on the 19th of june and the book is published on the 22nd of june i believe what where would we find you on publication day what what will you be doing 22nd of June. Oh, my goodness. Such an exciting day for me. Firstly, I should be in London and in the afternoon, I should be signing books at Forbidden Planet. And then in the evening, I am going on to Battersea Power Station to the bookshop there for a signing. My offspring used to live near Battersea Power Station. And years and years ago, when I was young and fresh faced and in the Air Force, we did a practice touchdown at Battersea Power Station. We flew up the Thames and settled down at this this dilapidated building and then flew away again. And I had no idea at the time it was going to become so important in my life. But when I went to visit my son when he lived there, they were just beginning to renovate it. And it's such a fabulous building, you know, with the four Mm. iconic towers. And I've always been in love with it. So I set the time police there and now the bookshop has invited me for a signing. So I am really excited and I'm actually going to get inside. Oh, that's wonderful. It's it's all coming together. Yes. It's going to be a very special day. The morning will be spent with my publisher, presumably while everybody lists the various things I've done wrong over the last couple of months. That's always good fun. Lovely. And then escape to Forbidden Planet. I hope so. And they're always lovely there. So that's that's a happy place to be as well. Now, talking about you, I think we know various facts about you. But what don't we know about Jodie Taylor? What would surprise us about you? I'm, I'm really not a very surprising person. I've had various catastrophes. I was once rescued. I was in a flash flood in Turkey and I had to be rescued And I was there expecting to drown at any moment. And I looked up and six extremely good looking young men were climbing through my bedroom window. I can't tell you how many boxes that ticked. (laughs) And it was the, the local fire brigade come to rescue me and they actually had to take the window out. And we put the cats up on the top shelf to save them. But they turned up in time to rescue us. And that didn't happen once. The unusual fact is it happened twice. 
I did not know that. My goodness, that must have been both scary and were you making notes for a future book? I Well, not at the time because it was before I started to write, but having been caught in several flash floods stood me in really good stead when I nearly drowned them all in a mountain in Egypt when they had half an inch of rainfall a year and they still managed to nearly drown. The description of being caught in the flash flood is very <laughs> realistic. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'm sorry that you had to go through that, but it it found its way into the book. So we're, we appreciate that. Minus the Turkish firemen, obviously. Oh, are those going to come in another book? Oh, yeah, they were the best bit. <laughs> well, we come to the final question, which is the most crucial one on this podcast, Jodie. So just prepare yourself. I'm braced. Good. And the question is, what biscuit was powering the writing of the good, the bad and the history? What was your biscuit of choice? Well, obviously, I, I have many, but the word chocolate precedes most of them. So anything thickly coated in chocolate can always guarantee my attention. And then I have to take my keyboard, well, my laptop, up to be serviced to the lovely man round the corner. And he turns it upside down and the entire Northern Europe supply of biscuit crumbs falls out across. The, and he looks at me more in sorrow than in anger. And then I, I take my newly refurbished laptop and creep away and start filling it up again. <laughs> well, it keeps him in employment, so it, it's fair enough. But... And he always seems reasonably pleased to see me when I walk <laughs> through the door with, <laughs> with, with some unusual laptop problem I've managed to create. I can't believe we're talking, actually, given my success rate with podcasts and Zoom and, and that sort of thing. I've had some pretty horrendous things happen. Well, not today, thank goodness. No. It's just been wonderful to talk to you. It's Jodie Taylor, whose latest fabulous book is The Good, The Bad and The History. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's lovely to talk to you again. Oh, how wonderful is Jodie, my goodness. And there'll be another conversation with her, sort of five questions in five minutes coming up in a couple of months where you can hear even more about that brilliant book. Now we go on to Yellowface by Rebecca F. Quang. Let me read you the blurb on this one. Athena Lou is a literary darling and June Hayward is literally nobody. When Athena dies in a freak accident, June steals her unpublished manuscript and publishes it as her own under the ambiguous name Juniper Song. But as evidence threatens June's stolen success, she discovers exactly how far she will go to keep what she thinks she deserves. What happens next is entirely everyone else's fault. Let me read you the first few sentences. One, the night I watch Athena Lou die, we're celebrating her TV deal with Netflix. Off the bat, for this story to make sense, you should know two things about Athena. First, she has everything. A multi-book deal straight out of college at a major publishing house, an MFA from the one writing workshop everyone's heard of, a resume of prestigious artist residences and a history of awards nominations longer than my grocery list. At 27, she's published three novels, each one a successfully bigger hit. For Athena, the Netflix deal was not a life-changing event, just another feather in her cap. One of the side perks of the road to literary stardom she's been hurtling down since graduation. Second, perhaps as a consequence of the first, she has almost no friends. Now, this book, I have loved. Uh, I read Babel, Rebecca F. Quang's previous book, and really enjoyed that. This is very different. 
and I've been hearing mixed reviews about it. So I didn't buy the book, but I went to see Rebecca at the Hay Festival. And it was one of my favourite events there, I have to say. She was very compelling. She talked about this book and I thought, I've just got to read it. It sounded incredible. And I think having heard her talk, it made the reading of the book even better. It's, as I say, it's very different. It's not a normal story that has a sort of a, a beginning, a middle and end in your very traditional way as Babel has but it's a brilliant book I loved it I thought it was such a reflection on the publishing world and that is really what it's about it's a book of this time and it I just thought it was really really good uh, 10 out of 10 I would give this book I thought it was first rate but I don't know if my thoughts would have been different if I hadn't sat there and listened to her speak. We will never know unless I borrow one of Jodie Taylor's pods and do a bit of time, not time travelling, we don't, you know, just go back in history somewhat to discover that. But I thought it was very, very good. It is different to her other books, but again, I like that. It's, yeah, I'm waffling. You get the joyful gist. Excellent. So we've had some excellent books so far, haven't we? And the next one is excellent as well. So the next book is A Place to Bury Strangers by Mark Dawson. And if you've been listening to this podcast for, well, at least a few weeks, you will have heard me review a previous book of Mark's called The House in the Woods that I listened to as an audiobook and I absolutely loved. This is the second one in the series. I listened to it again. And I thought it was superb. Let me read you the blurb. A dog walker finds a human bone on a lonely Salisbury plain. DCI Mackenzie Jones investigates the grisly discovery, but cannot explain how it ended up there. She contacts disgraced ex-detective Atticus Priest, and the two of them trace the bone to a graveyard in the nearby village of Imba. But the village was abandoned after it was purchased by the Ministry of Defence to train the army. So why have bodies been buried in the graveyard since the church was closed? At the same time, Atticus is approached by a single dad who needs his help to track down his missing daughter. Atticus takes on the case and finds himself battling a London gang who are selling their drugs in Salisbury and a host of witnesses who don't seem to be telling him the truth. Atticus and Mac deal with the fiendishly complex case and unpick a conspiracy that cuts to the heart of the English establishment while dealing with their own feelings for one another. Now, let me just read you the first few sentences of this book. Prologue. Silsbury Plains stretched out beneath a slate grey sky, the sun obscured by clouds that promised yet more rain after a week of wet days. It was just after dawn and Jan had brought his dog to the plain for a walk while it was dry. There'd been no other cars in the lay-by where dog walkers often parked and there was no one visible as far as he could see. The wide open space was desolate, the emptiness interrupted by the occasional beach and stand of fir and clumps of sawwort, oxeye daisy and milkwort. There we go. You see how badly I pronounce those various items of nature? Very badly, we might say. I listened to this book while I was driving to Hay, and then every morning I would go on my little, well, I call them runs, fast walks round Hay. So this book fills me with such joy 
And yet awful things are happening in this book. I loved listening to it. I thought it was superb. It had the the thrills, the spills, the everything I could ask for. I thought it was just as good, if not better than the first one. Excellent. And so I immediately went to download the audiobook of the third one. And do you know what? It's not available as an audiobook. I'm very... I'm miffed about this. I really am. I would love to listen to it immediately. I didn't want to wait. And I'm, I'm, you can get it as a Kindle. You can get it as a paperback. So I will get it on my Kindle and have a read and review it. But I just loved listening to it as an audiobook. So I'm a little bit sad about that. Mark, if you need someone to narrate book three, given how badly I've just read the first few sentences of book two, I'm probably at the bottom of your list. But if not, please, Mark, do give me a call. I would thoroughly enjoy narrating the book and promise to practice all words properly and uh, and read them in the correct way. So there we go. That's A Place to Bury Strangers by Mark Dawson. And now we come to the last book, which is The Couple at Number Nine by Claire Douglas. I have got things to say about this book. Let me read you the blurb. When Saffron Cutler and boyfriend Tom move into Nine Skelton Place, they didn't expect to find this. Two bodies buried under the patio over 30 years ago. When the police launch a murder investigation, they ask to speak to the cottage's former owner, Safi's grandmother, Rose, whose Alzheimer's clouds her memory. But it is clear she remembers something. What happened 30 years ago? What part did her grandmother play? And is Safi now in danger? Well, let's read the first few sentences. Safi, April 2018. I'm in the front garden, pulling at weeds that spill out from the borders of the driveway, like gigantic spiders when I hear yells, deep and guttural. The builders are in the rear garden with the mechanical digger. All morning, as I was pruning the rosebush under the living room window, I could hear the thrum of it on the breeze, like a nagging headache. But now it's stopped. It's enough to make my heart pound. And Snowy, Grand's little Westie, who's lying beside me, prick up his ears. I turn towards the cottage, a film of sweat breaking out between my shoulder blades. Has something happened? I imagine severed joints and gushing blood, at odds with the blue skies and the dazzling sunshine, and my stomach heaves. I've never had a strong gut at the best of times, but being 14 weeks pregnant, I'm still experiencing morning sickness. Well, morning, noon and night sickness. OK, so I'm not going to tag Claire in this because, yes, it's a good book. It's a good story, but it was I know it's a crime book before you start shouting, but it felt more psychological thriller for me than crime. And I just I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. The book is very well written. There will be so many people shouting at me because this book has great reviews. Lots of people are loving this book. Maybe, and actually, I do have to say, I didn't get on with the narrator of the book. And that might have been it. I think if I'd read this book, I would have enjoyed it more. There was just something. And I do think it was the narrator. Again, a brilliant narrator. It's just me. And, you know, I hate to say anything negative about books because I think all authors are rock stars. But I've got to be honest, and it just didn't quite work for me. I listened to the whole thing. So it wasn't a DNF. I, I did finish it. But... 
you know, when you're quite glad to have finished a book. And I was listening. There are actually two narrators, the female narrator. I had her on speed of two and sometimes 2.5, which just shows I've never been able to listen. I've never listened to a book at that speed before. I'm normally 1.4, 1.5. And I was still able to hear everything she was saying. The male narrator, I did have to slow it down. So I don't know what was... I don't know what was going on. It didn't hit home for me, but that is completely my fault and no reflection on the author. As I said, this book is highly reviewed. It just didn't... It just didn't win it for me this time. But it doesn't stop me reading more of her books and looking forward to reading more. But I'm really sorry that I didn't enjoy that one as much. But, but there we are. Honest opinions are us. Let's just recap... On the books that we've had today, I'm lifting them back up. We have had The Beach Party by Nikki Smith and Nikki very kindly joined me to talk about that, that wonderful book. Then we had The Good, The Bad and The History by Jodie Taylor and Jodie joined me to talk about that wonderful book. We had Yellow Face by Rebecca F. Quang that I really enjoyed. We had A Place to Bury Strangers that I listened to on audiobook. That's written by Mark Dawson, bravo. And finally, another audiobook. We had The Couplet Number 9 by Claire Douglas. Those are your books. I'll be back on Friday with a short episode with three authors answering five questions in five minutes. But enough about me waffling on. I will send you on your way. If I remember what I said to Margaret Atwood, I will tell you, unless I remember, and it's so cringeworthy, I don't tell anybody. But it would be nice to remember. It would be nice to remember what she said. I don't think she said, because she did say a few things, I don't think she said, I'm dialing the authorities now. But what was it? If you know, do tell me. Maybe I need to be hypnotised so that I can go back and remember. Anyway, there we go. That's where you leave me today. Just look after yourselves. I know some of you are really going through things and I send you my hugs and my love to you. Um, there's always books to escape to and I'm always here. So I just send you my love and my hugs. Look after yourselves and I'll talk to you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.